Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. It was Friday, early morning Sunday, as we worked through the weekend. I said, get Michaud. He is with KBW, who have been attached to small banking and securities analysis of banking through my entire career. Thomas showed us CEO of KBW, a Stiefel company. We're thrilled he could join us from California uh, this morning. Uh, Tom, I don't know where to begin with eight themes, but to cut to the chase, you've lived this. What should Jerome Powell do in the coming hours and days? I think this is still a moment about confidence. Uh, it's confidence for depositors to know that the money in their bank is safe. Uh, it's also confidence among investors. Uh, you've got uh, an S&P 500 company whose stock just went to zero pretty quickly. Um, and so investors want to know uh, that the confidence want to have confidence in the mm-hmm. system as well. And, and so we need orderliness. Uh, and that's what I think uh, is necessary at the moment. And uh, right. the agencies took action last night. And we're going to find out if it's enough, enough or if more is needed. Tom, very simply here, my theme for the year, not seeing any of this coming, is the great zombie roll-up. Keith Brianton Woods is expert at gauging the zombies out there among thousands of banks. How troubled is our banking system? How many zombies are out there for a 2023 great zombie roll-up? So I'll tell you, the the bank that fell last week, Silicon Valley, um, on on all the measures, was probably one of the biggest risk takers in terms of interest rates with their bond portfolio. They were an outlier. Uh, uh, My uh, conversations with many bank CEOs is that the uh, deposit outflow contagion had not spread throughout the industry. Uh, however, I know that concern was raising and rising. And you could see, I think, if this continues, you could see it to start to affect banks that had very prudently managed themselves. And, and that's what happens when consumer behavior or commercial behavior for deposits changes quickly. That's why I think we need a government support mechanism to make things orderly. We got some of that last night. If it's not enough, I think they got to do, they should do more. Um, uh, But you know, what's really interesting, Tom, is this is all about the unwinding of COVID relief. There are two things that happened that dramatically impacted the banking industry. One is we've had rate increases at the fastest pace of my career. 
It's been fast and it's been significant in terms of its measure. Number two is that the system during COVID was flooded, the banking system with deposits. There's a purposeful effort right now to drain liquidity and drain those deposits. It's happening at a pace that I don't think any management team in banking has ever seen before. So while that's happening, you have a crisis of confidence, which is compounding the issue. And that's why I think we need this broader support. If I were to show you the, the market, the metrics of a typical bank, they're actually outstanding. Credit quality is, is, is of no concern at the moment. You've got, uh, you've got companies that have stable capital, but they weren't necessarily built to have this type of stress put on deposits overnight. And that's why I think we need a calming influence. Barring some sort of further intervention from the federal government, Tom, what are you doing at KBW to attract deposits and to keep the ones you have? Um, well, my firm at KBW, we're, we're a securities firm, right. um, but I think that uh, I think that uh, uh, so we don't we don't attract deposits at KBW, so to speak. Um, but I think what I in talking to most banks in the industry, uh, they have the liquidity. There are plenty of ability, plenty of lines and avenues that a bank can go down to augment their liquidity. So my sense is that depositors' demands will be met. Um, and I think other banks are, some banks are seeing tremendous inflows from some of these other banks. So, so it's not e equal everywhere in the industry. Um, so I think things are steady enough as long as they don't get worse. That's my point. Well, Tom, do you expect uh, smaller and regional banks to have to pay more to attract uh, just regular depositors who think, well, why shouldn't we just put our bank at the big money centers that are too big to fail? Well, yes, I think the I think I think in the third quarter of last year is where the light switch went on, so to speak, in terms of deposit competition. Uh, and that happened because of the speed at which FDIC deposits have been shrinking because of monetary policy. So, so we saw that competition sort of green light happen in the third quarter. So I think, and, and it's not just the banking industry competing with itself, it's market rates. Uh, treasuries were offering a, a, a compelling alternative uh, to deposits. So, so that competition was building and that's how, how uh, funds have been draining out of the system so much. Hey, Tom, so, uh, yeah. I've got to run. I've just got a headline I need to get to. Thanks for being with us this morning. Tom, Tom thank you. Of KBW. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth. 
and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sabata Rajapa joins us right now on this historic day with Society in general. Sabhadra, I, w- I want to speak, I think, towards what the president will comment on here. What can we glean from the fixed income markets that can help politicians gauge the moment? What should they be watching in fixed income? Well, they're not watching anything specifically in the fixed income market per se, but what I think we should be encouraged by is the fact that financial condi- conditions are still relatively easy. You're not seeing uh, a meltdown in the in the equity market. You're not really seeing broader risks of a contagion uh, in all markets. This seems to be very localized, uh, if you will. In the bond market, you're seeing a pretty dramatic decline in yields as the market starts to price out rate hikes for this year. So for the most part, at least thus far, it seems to be localized to the price action, I should say, in the bond market. And and we're not really seeing a big risk of a contagion. Two things, Sabatra. One, you called for lower yields. (laughs) You're getting them in a major way this morning. We'll come back on that call in just a moment. The second thing, there's two clear camps emerging. We've been discussing them in the last hour or so. One is that the market is right. This Federal Reserve is done. The second camp is ultimately the Fed has shown it has the tools to deal with deal with failed banks and can focus on tackling inflation. Which camp are you in? It's going to have to be the latter. I think it's very soon to make a call on the Fed being done. Like you guys have been discussing over the last couple of minutes, if you look at inflation, it's running very hot. You have a very strong labor market. And most importantly, financial conditions are easy. The financial stability risks seem to be somewhat ring-fenced and isolated with a couple of banks. The question really becomes one of, does the Fed have all the tools it needs to be able to contain this problem? And again, you you guys did a good job of outlining what happened in the UK. I think the parallels there are, are very prescient for this particular moment where the Fed can kind of thread the needle on two separate issues and continue to raise rates, uh, you know, in uh, at, the, at the March meeting and even beyond, if we can kind of deal with the, the problem at hand. Subhadra, I want to just talk about the mechanics of the bond market at a time when you're seeing a 50 basis point move in the two year, at a time when so many people had parked their cash in this debt. How much is this kind of creating fragilities in and of itself, that there is such incredible volatility in the benchmark basic instruments that people use as tools of safety? So if it is a tool of safety, you want to be long the bond. And we've been kind of talking about that, uh, you know, pretty much uh, since the beginning of the year, even when yields started to rise, is that this is typically the sort of price action you tend to see in the bond market towards the end of the cycle where the market gets a little bit skittish on uh, the potential turn in policy. Uh, So especially given the fact that yields have risen so dramatically our view has consistently been that the risk to yields are asymmetrically <coughs> skewed towards the downside. And that's exactly what you're, you're seeing in, in, the, in the price action. 
Yes, the, the moves look very dramatic, and that's because the absolute level of the two-year was at five, uh, five above five percent, you know, just a week ago. So a lot of that repricing is going to happen in the very front end. So that doesn't surprise me uh, at all. Um, but what you know, what we have to see going forward is not really read too much into the price action here. This could be partly driven by position unwinds, given the fact that the market was extraordinarily short heading into the into the March FOMC meeting. But I think cooler heads will prevail when you have more information on how this route is going to play out, broadly speaking. How are you going to play this, Subhadra? Are you going to lean into the long end? Are you going to basically cash in on some of the short positions that you've had, the short, uh, short end of the curve? Uh, we really didn't have any any shorts. I think we've been kind of leaning long uh, in, in bonds for a good portion of this year, uh, given the fact that, you know, it's really hard to call the pivot on policy. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, especially given the fact that you get such good returns in bonds, uh, our bias was, was perhaps to play from, from the long end because, yes, we might lose the last 25 basis points of, of rate hikes or, or not be able to know where the terminal Fed funds rate is. But broadly speaking, the market's going to look towards a trajectory of lower yields over the next uh, year or two. So in that sort of context, I think that long play made sense. That said, we've moved quite significantly lower here. So I think if we probably take a pause, look at how things evolve. I wouldn't be surprised if we see another uh, leg higher in yields. Uh, if we start to price in, uh, more hikes as as the time progresses, given the fact that we've, we're not anywhere near achieving uh, the goal on inflation. Sabatra, your bond call is looking pretty good this morning and over the last couple of days, that's for sure. Sabatra Jaffa there of SockGen. Sabatra, thank you. What you need to know in technology is people get chosen. There was a woman out of Minnesota who was exceptionally astute in operational research at Stanford and she was anointed, I remember the day as clear as I can, Marissa Hu was anointed as the leader of Yahoo. Many would say she at least stabilized the company and moved it along in its eventual pain. The gentleman that found her was Michael J. Wolf. He's co-founder and CEO of Activate, is a unique voice for technology in this country. His work with MTV, but far more with consulting, with McKinsey and all. He is a voice that when he gets, when he, it's, li- it's Michael Wolf on line two, they answer the phone. What did you do this weekend? Were you glued to the phone this weekend? Well, it, it was a dark weekend for startups and for venture capital firms. And either on Twitter either on message boards and really blowing up my texts over the weekend because where people were afraid, startups Mm -hmm. and VCs were concerned that they wouldn't make payroll this coming week. And they were concerned that come Monday, they'd have to start um, letting people go. I want you to address the behavioral construct that was beautifully described by the Wall Street Journal, anecdote after anecdote, and I'm not going to mince words, Michael. It was fancy tech guys with fancy educations on fancy golf streams from Big Sky in Montana, flying back quickly to Northern California to salvage the mess. That is the image that America has of your world. Is it accurate? Well, what's ironic is that in a lot of ways, the venture capitalists started that. And so it's the immediacy of social media. So starting on Wednesday, they already started advising their startups to take money out. And by Thursday, you know, over $40 billion had already left Silicon Valley Bank. Right. And so in a lot of ways, this was self-imposed. And what's, what's different about this versus 2008 
was you had at that time you had Twitter that had 200,000 daily users. Today, all of the communication is happening through social media. And so well, it's not surprising you had a run on the bank. And what was so important in the quality threads this week and the people that weren't hysterical was Brad Setzer, wonderful at Harvard and Oxford. And at the end of his thread, Lisa, he was scathing about the lack of humility among tech types. Gary Gensler out uh, with this statement from the SEC uh, that they are investigating and bring enforcement actions if we find violations of the federal securities laws. This raises questions of what potential conflicts some of these individuals had. Was that one of the discussions that people were having over the weekend? The main thing was this concern about what this meant for startups themselves and this concern overall for people outside the technology business about what would this do to the innovation that's been taking place. I mean, these were not big companies. These were companies, thousands of small companies who've, yes, taken in venture capital money, but but there's concern that this would shut down innovation, that VCs would not be able to finance companies come this week or these coming months. Michael Shaul was on earlier and he was saying that regardless of what happens and what the Fed is trying to do in the Treasury Department to offset some of the concerns about a failure to be able to withdraw with deposits, that lending conditions would tighten materially and that some of these smaller companies would face much higher standards to borrow and much higher rates. Is that in the conversations that you're having with and some of these startups? Absolutely. I think they're worried about what happens even though the Fed is going to backstop the bank and their and their funds are going to be available. I think their concern is, will this have a chilling effect on venture capital funding? And will this have a chilling effect on the places where they can borrow money? And in a lot of cases, though, there, there are, many of them are expecting to keep their money at Silicon Valley Bank. Over the weekend, a group of venture capitalists, uh, Kleiner Perkins and, and others, and General Catalyst, they put out a statement that said, no matter what happens, that they'll back Silicon Valley Bank. Now, there's also, if you look at some of the anecdotes, companies weren't even set up to take money into other places. Some of the founders were putting money into their personal accounts as they were able to transfer it out. Is there a discussion about some of these venture capital firms helping some of their portfolio companies to actually uh, meet payroll to deal with some of their uh, concerns on their imminent funding requirements? Right. They're, they're really, based on the conversations I was involved in, there really weren't, that was not an option on the table. Mm. I think that everybody was looking at this, and in fact, they were concerned about the laws in California in terms of what happens with missing payroll. Michael Wolf, one of the sane voices this weekend, he was cryptic, but nevertheless sane, was a guy named Dan Loeb. There were others that were a little more hysterical, all caps and that, mouthing off uh, in a time of true financial crisis. How do we get a behavior change in your world that affects a humility towards the entirety of America away from hyper-educated finance and technology elite? Yeah, I think that what's happening, though, is the world is moving away. The innovation world is already moving away from Silicon Valley. It used to be you started a company, you could only be located one place, and that was the Bay Area. Steve Case is led on that. Let's be clear. The guy from AOL, Steve Case, is really led on that. Absolutely. But when we move into new technologies like generative AI and self-driving cars and even the metaverse, it's in other places. And I think that that Silicon Valley mafia will change. I didn't hear Dan Loeb this weekend talking about the metaverse, and most of the people watching this show are going, Michael, what the hell is it? We won't know for five years. How do we reconnect? 
Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Stanford, Caltech, and other elite in Georgia Tech, Purdue, that's my pick in the NCAA. How do we connect technology engineering back with an America where the stereotype is they're flat on their back? Right. I think that some of it's going to come down to innovation hubs. So Boston in a lot of ways, in Cambridge, those are going to be places and other, and other places around Austin and others where you've got people. Um, and, and it's also opening up the world. I mean, a lot of these tech jobs have gone away. Those people are all going to find work, but they're not going to necessarily find work in Silicon Valley. They're going to find it in other companies and mainstream businesses. We've been talking about the potential fallout and the interconnectedness of markets that previously had been somewhat separate. And I wonder about stablecoins, for example, the sort of crypto asset that is pegged to assets that, for example, I'm thinking of the USD coin that had a lot of its assets parked at the Silicon Valley Bank. And suddenly it broke the buck, right? It went beyond $1, which was sort of the backing of its uh, of its assets. I mean, how do you view that in terms of casting a real pall that has a permanence to it over asset classes that previously were heralded as the winners of the crypto winter. Yeah, I mean, there, there, by the way, is the real arrogance, which is this idea that this wouldn't have happened if we had decentralized finance and, and blockchain. Yes, USD, USD coin, um, it's supposed to be, it's a stable coin, it's supposed to always be stable at a dollar. It dropped down to 87 cents over the weekend. And um, USD had $3 billion on deposit. Right. So it is going to have a chilling effect on, <clears throat> on crypto. It is going to make uh, people wonder, is this a viable place? Is it safe? John from England emails in. John says, can you ask him if it was a bailout? Was this a bailout for younger Michael Wolf Turks from another time and place? Well, I mean, this what's, this is very different. It's a bailout, but it's very different than 2000. Agreed. 2008. Okay, fine. But was this, it a bailout? No, I think this is a, this was about, about liquidity. It wasn't the, this was not a bank that made, that made risky investments in, in mortgage backed securities. Mm -hmm. This is a bank that had a liquidity problem. They made bad mistakes in terms of their investments. Right. And ultimately, um, we, a lot of that money will come back. If if you see, I don't mean to interrupt, but we're running out of time. This is too important. If you were asked to serve on the board of the new SVB bridge, what would be your advice? Um, I think that that you better be an expert in finance uh, and you better have uh, really understand the kinds of credit risk officers and other people that are in place. Michael, we got to go because the news is just rip roaring here as we're 30 minutes away from the president of the United States. Michael, on short notice, thank you for coming in thank today. Pleasure. Michael Wolf is with Activate, <laughs> which barely describes his history with McKinsey, Yahoo, and others. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. Elon Inc. Elon Inc.
From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We begin this discussion this morning on your future in banking with Myra Rodriguez Valadares, Managing Principal at MRV Associates. You may not know her, but what you need to know, she is steeped in the banking discussion of Washington. Myra, thank you so much for joining us in the six o'clock hour. I'm going to cut to the chase. The Republicans, led by President Trump, are highly suspect of bank concentration. It's Donald Trump channeling his inner Andrew Jackson. I get it. Did that all go by the wayside yesterday? And will the Republicans have to find common ground with the Democrats to make us a one banking system? Well, it's good to see you again, and thank you so much for having me here. Look, uh, most unfortunately, uh, what's just happened this weekend is that venture capital and those kinds of companies have been bailed out. And this never should have happened. The Republicans, primarily, although unfortunately some Democrats back in 2018, voted for the EGR CCPA. Yes, one more alphabet soup of American regulations and laws. But once that vote came in, it revoked important liquidity and stress testing requirements for those banks exactly around the uh, size of what Silicon Valley Bank is. So, yes, Republicans <coughs> should be finding common ground with Democrats now to revoke that useless piece of legislation, which ended up being incredibly damaging yet again to unsuspecting ordinary Americans. Can we expand too big to fail constructively across the regionals, the super regionals, even some of the larger institutions state by state? Or do we need to expand it for each and every community bank? Yeah, excellent question, Tom. No, we really need to go back to Title I Dodd-Frank that was signed back in 2010. At that time, those institutions that are $50 billion and over were considered systemically important. And yes, you can have domestically systemically important banks. You can have the regional ones. Of course, you have the ones the size of J.P. Morgan, which are globally systemically important banks. And even these so-called smaller banks, I don't call it too hundred and some odd billion dollar institution like Silicon Valley Bank, uh, small, even those kinds of institutions. We just saw this weekend how much instability and chaos they can cause to ordinary Americans who didn't even know that all of this was was going on. And so those institutions should never have been uh Changed. In other words, their designation never should have been changed. Well, Mara, whether they like it or not, hasn't Washington, D.C. acknowledged that you're right overnight by using the systemic risk exception for smaller banks? Right, exactly, unfortunately. And I really hate to be right on this one. Uh, quite a number of consumer advocates and myself for decades have been arguing that it is important to pay close attention to those regional banks. By definition, they are concentrated in their assets and in their liabilities. Uh, The fact that Silicon Valley was not properly analyzing how concentrated it was in its deposits, and some of those, as some of you have mentioned in the previous program, were enormous. All it takes is one or two of those tech companies to withdraw their defo- deposits, to get on their phones with their friends, telling them, hey, I think there's a problem at a particular bank. And next thing you know, we had a just old-fashioned 
run on the bank. You also had uh, people on Twitter who should have really known better. Uh, billionaire hedge fund uh, managers really fear fear mongering. And none of that none of that was necessary. But at the end of the day, this is the fault of the executives at SVB and the SEC needs to investigate why is it that they were selling thousands and thousands of their own shares just a couple of weeks ago and why weren't they at least doing minimal interest rate risk management and liability uh, risk measurements. Well, a lot of people are trying to say this is highly idiosyncratic for all the reasons that you just said. First Bank in California, those shares down almost 60%. Comerica shares down almost 7.5% in pre-market trading. This is following some of the moves that we saw last week. Fifth Third, I mean, a number of the bigger uh, small banks, regional banks, are really struggling. So how idiosyncratic is this, or is there a larger problem that we're going to see come to the fore in the days ahead? The problem is, yes, a a couple of days ago, we could say it's idiosyncratic. The problem is that nobody wants to be the last one in a room turning off a light. In other words, as soon as there's a problem with one bank, fear is real. Immediately, everybody starts to say, wait a minute, should I also have my deposits at bank A, B, C, D, etc.? So immediately, investors move. You see other banks' bond yields go up, which signal to the rest of the market that there's an increasing probability of default and loss severity. Even if the bank is well capitalized, I keep hearing that banks are well capitalized. Yes, the problem is they can quickly go, uh, they can quickly become illiquid, which is really what matters right now. Lehman was single A. It was well capitalized. It was a liquid. It was insolvent. And these things can happen incredibly quickly. That's why there is no way that Silicon Valley Bank and other banks like that should have been allowed to grow that fast. Back in 2015, when Greg Becker was actively advocating for lighter regulations, in 2015, that bank was $40 billion in assets. When it was closed down, it had grown by over 400% to somewhere in the range of $210 billion. So yes, you are going to see a lot of gyrations in the market because investors are nervous. Mara, thanks for being with us. Just fantastic thoughts on the regulatory front and where we're going to go forward from here. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.